0: Hi, I'm Connor Byrne, and you're listening to That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. Today, I am talking to Rita Kirwan, Marketing Director at Aldi, and let's face it, a bit of Irish marketing royalty. The title of this episode says it all. Rita just loves what she does, and she's exceptional at it. Rita has worked at Pernod Ricard, Largo Foods, home of the brilliant Tato, O2 Telefonica, and now at Aldi. With such diverse experience, Rita has truly a unique perspective on marketing. She's worked with big budgets and small budgets, grown unknown brands in the US, operated in the pressure cooker that is retail marketing, has seen teams through acquisitions and mergers and has turned Aldi into a loved brand in Ireland. Today, we talk about figuring it out when you don't know the answer, asking questions, taking risks and big bets, turning a crisp character into a national icon having skin in the game, backing yourself, sweating all your assets by bringing them together, customers, 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 the role of sponsorship and the qualities of a leader. I hope you enjoy this episode. Rita, thanks a million for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. It's great to have you here.
1: Connor. thanks for having me. Absolute privilege and have thoroughly enjoyed listening to all your previous guests. So um, thanks for being on today.
0: Listen, before we get into everything and I have so many questions to ask you, um, just for anyone listening who may not know who you are, and what your role is, just maybe give a quick introduction to to Rita Kirwan.
1: Sure. Uh, Rita Kirwan, um, I started my career with Printer Ricard, did the graduate programme through Irish Distillers and IBEC, which is Absolutely, the wonderful graduate program that I highly recommend to everybody. And um, before that, I studied economics in Trinity, so maybe people wouldn't know that in terms of my background as well. Yeah. Uh, economics and business, so love all the numbers and the measurement as well. <laughs> but my job, and from there, from Pernary Car and learning the trade in in the states. I really enjoyed listening to Johnny Call in terms of all about you know where you learn your trade and the art of advertising, and I certainly learned mine in the states with Pernery Car. And from Pernary Car, then came back home and had the absolute pleasure of working with Raymond Coyle and Largo Foods and the Coyle family with um, Tato Park and Tato. and there into O2. Um, again, just, you know, such a beautiful corporation with Telephonic, mm-hmm. having the pleasure of working with Ashley Telliard and taking over from some of the guests that you have you have had on the podcast before and learning the trade there from B e to B to B to C to sponsorships and everything that O two was famous for, and then from O two into discount retail. So into and so kind of worked. I've always enjoyed working on the on the brands that were maybe smaller in the category. So the likes of wow. Gems, you know, really really winning against kind of global players. And um, Tato obviously going against the glides of Walkers and how do you beat how do you beat them with much smaller budgets. Um O2, I guess, was one was one of the big players, but again, was obviously going against other bigger brands in yeah. in kind of prepay space. So how do you do that? And then in discount retail, you know, how can you how can you make that mainstream? So that's kind of been a little bit about me.
0: Brilliant. And such wonderful brands and fascinating stories. I actually didn't know, I don't think I knew about the Perno Recar um, work. So that was, was that all based in the States and then you working on the Jameson brand?
1: That was the graduate program. So that is out of college, um, Irish distillers who still do that, take on their graduates and place them around the world. And that's really an opportunity to showcase Irish brands, Irish businesses as well. In this case, it was Jemison. But at the time we were, you know, really about 300,000 cases. Now, Now it's in the millions. Right. And that was also then while I was there, I was fortunate enough to be offered a job in Chicago working on all their brands. And that was really a lesson in learning all about cultures and diversity. So it was working on Seagram's Gin and Juice in Michigan and in Detroit um, and Chicago, while also, say, working on the Glenlivet and Chivas Regal. So going from going from you know, brands that had very different segmentations in African-American markets, Hispanic markets to, you know, really premium mainstream, mainstream markets. So that's how you, do, how you do global brands with global brand owners, but also do very local marketing.
0: I'll touch on that a minute because I think that's a really interesting challenge that a lot of marketers can face, which is the, the, the global local thing. Right. And so, you know, you often hear we're different, you know, we behave differently, but then there's so many commonalities. How did you approach that or or what was the process that at that time that they went through to kind of approach the global, local and, and getting it right?
1: Yeah, and that's that's a great question, as in um, in Dublin, obviously, the strategy would be coming out and the, the brand strategy, the brand tone of voice, the brand guidelines. But equally, when you have amazing brand owners which you have with Irish distillers and Pernod car, all the new products that were coming out from Irish distillers and being brought to the u s you were really you were really trained in terms of how to grow these amazing products, these amazing brands and and then grow Irish whiskey, really grow the whole category, which is what they 've managed to do, but equally work with you know the right local partners so there they 're really focused on having the right the right local partners but I guess one story when I was thinking of this always kind of comes to mind. I think I was about two weeks, um, into my graduate program in Irish distilleries, and my boss at the time said to me, you know, can you give me a report on the shipments and the depletions? And I went, what are shipments? And <laughs> I, you know, I just said, no problem, no problem. No problem. Eat it. But, uh, often laugh till this day I'm like, what is the shipment and what is a depletion? And I'm sure people listen if there's anybody listening um on the primary car side, they'll know it. But my lesson, my lesson when I look back on that is, you know, just always to say yes, you know, yeah. figure, just always say yes and you'll figure it out. And there was, you know, wonderful people that explained it to me. But always say yes no matter what you're asked. Always put your hand up to help, especially when you're starting off. And then you know, I used to always look at and Elaine was marketing director at the time, and I remember thinking, now I want his job. I want. I want to be marketing." About two weeks into my graduate program, but I went, "I want to his job. That's the job I want." And how to get there. So wonderful, wonderful, wonderful earnings from a graduate program, and amazing brand owners and
0: amazing partners. That's incredible, and I think that you know, cu- like the curiosity, it, it, you know, is is key. I have, I, as I spoke to a lot of people for for the podcast, I, I hear that curiosity. So you know, somebody comes to you and says shipments and depletions, you know, you were clearly curious enough to go, I'm going to go figure this out because, you know, it's not, you know, we were just saying not going to come to me, right? Like I have to go find a way.
1: Yeah, you, ha- you have to go, f- have to go figure it out. And then equally, you have to have an awful lot of self-initiative. So with mm. the Lodge where they Centre, s- when they send their graduates over to all different countries, you know, it's really going to be up to them in terms of what you make it. So you'll have to go out and create different programmes different programs for the brands and different ideas for the brands. Um, and, and I guess be brave. Maybe the other thing that I was kind of mm. think, you know, you've, you've really brave, you've really got to take the risks. You've really got to get it out. But, um, but once you do, then you get, you get that back in spades. I get another story that often, you know, I often laugh about again, it was, it was with Jeff Agdern, who was, you know, a true, truly iconic part of the Jemison story in the States. I think it was my first meeting with him. And I asked him, you know, why did you put that ad on that page in the magazine? Okay. That ad, why was it on that page? It was maybe really the first, my first foray into really asking all the questions and understanding and planning and thinking. So, um, yeah, tons tons of learnings there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, yeah, kind of just even want, wanting to know that is fascinating right because some people are like oh there's the ad on that page but like you were kind of like oh why like that there's there's more to it And um, so you you said you came back to ireland and worked with largo foods and i think you you, you worked on probably the one of the country's most loved products as in tato crisps but i think you probably turned it into one of the country's most loved Brands, would would that be fair to say? You may not, you may not say yes to that, but I think you did, right? Because you, there was some phenomenal work that that went on at that that time. Can you tell me a bit about what that move was like? So, you know, from Pernod Ricard, Irish Distillers, into more of kind of a family-led organization, really strong, beloved product. What was what was that like that move for you? It yeah, the, the move was really when you've been trained by the best of
1: the best that I kind of felt I was with car, then can you really back yourself and believe yourself to go and really lead the brand? No, so get out of the big multinationals. It's all the resources. And go and go and, you know, take a chance on this. But this wasn't any chance. This was working with possibly, you know, the greatest entrepreneur that Ireland will ever see in Raymond Coyle really was just just one of a kind. And, and Raymond just would always back youth. He always kind of gave you a chance. And, and aside from that, with, with Tato, there was an army of people that really wanted to bring Tato back. A few of them, you know, really come to mind. The first one is Orla Blaney, yeah. who was Anne at the time, and who came up with the idea for Mr. Tato's autobiography, The Man Inside the Jacket you know 60,000 copies. And people thought we were totally nuts writing, you know, a full fictional book <laughs> and then getting it to number 1, you know, and selling yeah. and selling 60,000 copies. And when I think back to that, there was so there was so much fun and so many key learnings, but one is one on that one from Raymond was, you know, have have a share in it. So Raymond gave me 50 cents for every book I sold. Amazing. Well, will talk about selling books. You know, I had no idea how to write a book, print a book, barcodes for books, but I figured out pretty fast how to sell the books. So and it was something Damien Giovanni spoke about in his in terms of, you know, it has to be a win-win on both sides. So that was part of it. But aside from that on the book, Mr. Tato had a Bebo profile. Um you no, know, I think of I think of Geraldine O'Leary, she put Mr Tato on the uh, in the late late, you know, so he was on there. Um, I think of Joe Murphy. We went to his family, and we went backwards. You know, you really, you went back, and you uncovered every photograph and every, every story. I was in every closet and every press and every cupboard there was in the building as soon as I walked in. And um, Louis Copeland did, you know, my favorite, possibly still my favorite ad when he dressed Mister Tato, oh, yeah. and Louis wrote the script himself. You know, he said, you know, your money's no good round here. Mr. Tato. And there were so many people. I think of David Sneddon, who was in Mindshare at the time. There were so many people that wanted to really resurrect that brand. Yeah. And then move it into 3D World and whether he had, you know, he ran for election. and knew we thought he was going to get elected. We thought, you know, we can't get elected. We need to just encourage people to vote. So he did that he was you know he did a factory tour he did a book and you know i was listening to your other one with debbie millman and how some of her work still lives on and i guess yeah. when the, the amazing work that tato snacks continues today i still see some of the animation and some of the work living on and really that's that's all we can do in marketing in terms of you know see the work a couple of years on but you know still i still love mr tato i
0: yeah I, i'll tell you a very quick story we were we were up at the park a good few years ago maybe five or six years ago and we had the kids with us and um and mr tato came out you know we do kind of taking photos and my wife just turned around and she just went it's mr Tato!" <laughs> you know, like the exci- and like she was tuning for the kids but it was just so funny but it has that it it was brought he was brought to life it became more than and then, um, then the product then the crisps, it became kind of, you know, this this person that people could really could really like. And but what was for me, I was, you know, wondering about that as well. Kind of I, I can only imagine um, that Raymond Coyle was definitely someone who cared about the numbers and hitting the numbers and the product selling. Was it a hard sell to talk to him and others about we're going to we're going to make the character Kind of really stand out and be our be our brand, you know, mascot in in real life and as you call it, three D. Um, it's a really good question. With
1: Largo Foods at the time, you had one shot, right? That budget, that brand had one shot, and you were really betting everything on that one shot. Wow. Okay, so we were putting about a million euros behind that brand for the year. So it was the campaign for the year when we were doing book. Uh, Largo Foods had just bought the brand you know it had never done a campaign that big and and it was a risk it simply had to work you know it just it just had to work so when when it's again so when you go into the board and you explain you know you're wanting to do an autobiography at the time the board were like I don't know I've read the book I'm not so sure we printed a couple of copies they were like "Mm, I don't know Raymond being Raymond would always say, you know, what do you think? And let's and let's do some research on it. We gave the book to friends and families and got the feedback on it. And then me and Raymond agreed if it hit a certain score from the research that we sent out, we went for it. Right. Uh, maybe another example in that, when we were when Orla Blaney and McCanns were making the TV ad, we wanted the wonderful voice of the late Don Fontaine, uh, where he says, you know, in a world and you just get goosebumps. And I remember asking Raymond, I said, Raymond, I need, I need Don Fontaine on this. I need this book to feel like the biggest book in history. You know, I need the greatest voice, the greatest trailer voice ever for this book. And the fees at the time were 15,000 for that voiceover. And I remember... Yes, which was a huge amount for voiceover. And I remember Raymond saying to me, we're not spending that for one 30 second for a guy to record the voice. And I ran down the stairs to Raymond and I said, Raymond, I'll split it with you. I'll pay half. I'll pay half. But we have to get him. We just have to get him. So when you. When you want when you want something and you believe in it that bad that you know it's the right thing to do and you fight that hard for it, well then you will and I mean you really put your own skin in the game.
0: Yeah. And,
1: you know, I don't think I had seven and a half thousand at the but I think I was praying that Raymond wouldn't take it. But I knew if you knew that I wanted it that bad and I committed to always putting the right people on the job, on whatever that job was. And of course, Raymond would never have accepted it, but he did agree to um, Don Fontaine, and we created just a beautiful piece that made the book. You know, it was probably still still in print to this day, so.
0: Yeah, to me. I think, am I right in saying, did it beat, was it Bertie Hearn's autobiography was, or I, there was one, there was a really big one that it bet. I can't remember.
1: Yeah, it beat everything. It was number one. <laughs> six weeks and the irony was that we got a non-fictional character in the non-fictional section so that was it but equally amazing partners in Argosy and in, in all the bookshops and we did book tours so Mr. Taylor oh. was to book tours and book signings all the way around and, you know which is just just incredible people that we had from Frank Kelly and um a wonderful pure. It's how to do pure, but equally you do it yourself. At the time I was doing all the social media for Mister Tato, so I was Mister Tato's voice. Okay. So you know, you kind of, you kind of did everything, but and it was a once in a lifetime opportunity, really. So, and every time I see a packet of Tato, Mister Tato,
0: yeah, I still can't but love it. Yeah, you can't. Uh, yes, yeah, and and anyone listening is not not in in Ireland. Um, Tato is definitely the beloved. The beloved crisp brand um, and maybe remiss obviously not to mention Raymond Cole pass away not so long ago and um, you know huge loss and we were lucky enough to to work with his daughter actually um, when she was going to the Olympics so I mean I, I only ever met her wonderful person so only speaks to the the family that, that she's from.
1: Yeah and a, a tag over the social media and um, for a long time too which was wonderful so the whole the whole family really lived and breathed um, that brand and that business, and you know was was such guardians of it. So, um, yeah, the the legacy was on in Tato Park. Now Emerald Park is there is there today. So, uh, and and just you know a wonderful experience for the whole family to go to. So, but it's not every day you get to work on you know a theme park like Raymond's ideas yeah. from one to the next. What we call a Tato Park, you know what would we call Tato Town, Tato World. It was just an incredible journey. Um, you know, and, and I miss him. I miss him as a dear friend too. I miss him as an advisor and as a coach and um, and the crack and the stories and Raymond's just always made everything fun.
0: That's a wonderful to, to have had that experience, you know, to work with someone like that is a rare, rare thing to, to get. And obviously you got to do amazing work. And, you know, like it's, that was fame. Before we were probably using that sort of language, you know, that was fame. That was what, Paul Felder could talk about, you know, Barnum. And, you know, that's that's what that is. And it's it's wonderful to see it. So from there you went to O2. To um, I mean, that's very different.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very different. Very, very different. So from O2, from this was, um, again, kind of always encouraging people how you do base management. So that was also near, you know, in Ireland, we have got so many services. But how do you manage and grow a base? So how do you do... Pre-pay business, postpay business, and um, how do you do a business that is in large part commoditized in terms of selling data or selling um, really selling data or selling selling phones and how do you do B2B and then how do you do sponsorships and really link all that together and really differentiate itself. With O2, again, you learned everything about um, brand as well. Like they do they do brand bubbles and blue and tone yeah. kind of you know just better than anybody and was really a beautiful corporation you also learned really working in such a big organization managing high performance and creating high performing teams um and that was ashling telliard led led the people side and really how you do create a culture within a team to succeed um and you had Catherine london who was just a genius in retention and acquisition and understanding that while you know, understanding technology. So that was when you were doing kind of wallet products and really trying to keep your finger on the pulse was really one thing that I wanted to learn from O2 and that I took away with.
0: Yeah. And you went, to, obviously, there was a bigger team there, right, in, in O2. So how how did you navigate that? Because that's that's a a change, you know, from, but maybe from your partner, record days, you were kind of used to working in those big structures,
1: yeah, that's a great question. Uh, great question. So when you work on the small businesses, the entrepreneurial businesses, then you work in the international businesses, but then you go to global like that. And I guess the honest answer on that was I worked very closely with the lady called Maureen Hewitt and the Positive Success Group. And um, and that's really to ensure that, you know, you always have a coach when you need the coach to really just help you do that transition um, where you take the best parts of so you have the speed and the decision making and the agility and the risk and um, all of that that comes with that comes from working with um, a small entrepreneurial business and then how you fit that into, you know, a global corporation. So um, and we had again, there was wonderful partners, wonderful sponsorships. And and again, I guess the first thing I did was always look back to the amazing work that that, you know, O2 had already created.
0: Yeah, no, a beautiful brand and, and had done some great work. But during your time there, what were the campaigns or that you look back on fondly that you, you really love?
1: Yeah, my favourite one there was the big ad for small business, which was done by Happy Feckers And it was a BT, um piece of business. So we were trying to get small businesses that might have had one product with O2. How could you get them to have two or three products with O2? So Happy Feckers agency came up with the idea to um win an ad. So O2 would pay for the ad and um, for the small business and promote it. And better still, Brian O'Driscoll would be in the ad for the small business. So a very small business would have an opportunity with Brian O'Driscoll. Um and that was incredibly, incredibly successful um in terms of in terms of growing the fixed line sale. So getting fixed line business. Um from small businesses. So that would be one that would be one that was really using sponsorships, but using all the product and then really added another product back that one. And, you know, there was numerous, numerous rugby ones as well, which were, um, which were fabulous. And in O2, you learn loyalty, you learn, you know, how do you do loyalty? Nobody did it really better at the time than O2 priority. So how yeah. do you
0: drive that, which is also, you know, another really key part, key part of the, the whole marketing plan. Yeah. And it interesting. like I love that where you bring stuff together because sometimes you can find that, you know, in larger organizations and marketing organizations, things can sit so separately. You know, the B2B and the small business and the sponsorships and they don't they don't necessarily all speak to each other brilliantly. Um, And that's a really great example of where you all that you kind of were sweating all the different assets to kind of create something that was impactful and, and driving commercial results. Yeah,
1: yeah, that one—that one really did work for us, and we and we gave over the shop windows too to all the local businesses. So,
0: lovely,
1: so on Grafton Street, and Black, Black, uh, Blanchardstown Shopping Centre, where everything from childcare to photography businesses. So, you know, celebrating the local businesses, celebrating the communities, really celebrating the um, the local people that were making the difference, um, and that was really what it was all about at the time. And be the yeah. campaigns they ran many years before me. That's right. That's right.
0: Um, um, you were there. Were you there during the transition when three came in and, and acquired the business? And yeah, how, how was that? That must have been a, you know, a very interesting time with, you know, just transition and, and the team.
1: Yeah, the team being the most important. So that was obviously it took an order for the um, approval of the acquisition. There was a year, maybe, in terms of what we were waiting waiting for approval from the European Commission. So managing a team and leading a business when they know it's going to be sold was was definitely you kept. You kept the focus on doing what your job was, which was maintaining that base and um, ensuring that you were going to hand it over as good as not better as you could to three mobile to Hutchinson and Mampoa and share all the learnings that you could that you could. Um, but how do you transition from a really loved brand in Ireland which was O2 yeah. and transitioning from one to two. And they did a super job and they've done it and and you know you can see it today in the market. So um the most important part of that was really clarity of communication across the teams, the processes I'd gone through their acquisitions um with printery car. So it would just had to just be all about had to be all about the people and looking after the team and and ensuring whatever whatever people wanted. If they wanted redundancy, you know, they got it. If they wanted to stay, they had the opportunity to stay. If they wanted to move into other areas, they had the opportunity to do that. So it was a really collaborative process um, and quite a long process, but um one that one that worked out for everybody in the end, thankfully, on the team.
0: But yeah, it's great because I think that is, you know, the uncertainty, I think, is probably the piece that people, you know, what what is the future looking like? And then how do people keep focused on doing something now? You know, that like, you know, so I think that's really interesting to kind of saying, look, we need to hand this over, continue this going. I mean, there could have been a scenario where it didn't pass through the regulations and all the approval. So, you know, who doesn't want the business to be successful there? Was that part of how you kind of managed that immediate term? And you know, while looking after people at the same time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You had to manage all the transition from, you know, O two is now three, and then even from the customer, what does this mean? You know, what does it actually mean for me and my new contracts? What happened? Yeah. Um so all the clarity in the communications was hugely important. Um the O two, which we would have known it at the time, obviously changed through arena, so sponsorship changes, storage, just so much. So much different um, branding and and work to be done as well. That was that was a big part of it. But the most important things you said was just the communication with the team, and what it means for them, and whatever whatever they wanted. So fascinating to go through such a such a large merger, um, and yeah, exhausting. Um, exhausting. No, never, 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 <laughs> never. And you know, marketing. You just I don't know. I think we more challenges, but that was. That was um that was a great one. It was also a PR challenge because there was questions coming from media all the time as well. So um challenge in every angle, but no, there can never be there can never be too few challenges.
0: That's so true. <laughs> That's so true. You you went on to to Aldi then. And I think when you joined Aldi, had the had they been in Ireland for about fifteen years at that point, am I right? They were kind of
1: yeah, so um, back to like 1999, um, and really when I joined, they had about eight and a half percent share. You know, the okay. now, so um, much much smaller at the time. But really, again, now they've managed to just bed themselves into into the whole Irish community, and and really people they've become a loved brand, loved mark in terms of you know being the champion of the Irish people. Now, in terms of people just right whether it's the steaks or the candles or you know, what is the algae product the face cream the wine what is it that they that they actually have to have and love so everybody has you know their algae products that they just want to tell everybody about so that's been a wonderful journey and story from you know helping food cloud and food waste to working with bernardo's to um, sponsorship partners you know the amazing IRFU and live nation to um incredible suppliers so that is that is you know, every angle of the marketing side, I guess.
0: What was the, what were the kind of the biggest challenges when you arrived that you needed to, you needed to focus on first?
1: I think it was trust. So you really wanted to build trust and you wanted people to say and be proud of, you know, where. so as a you Know, are they proud to carry the bag? Are they proud to walk around with the shopping bag, or were they going into Aldi with another bag? But you know, um, so but not necessarily bring it. So, turning that around to wow, Aldi is a brand for me, or I think maybe an Irish thing where they love to say, you know, where did you get it? And where you know, and they would say, oh, it's only five euros, it was only two euros. So, really becoming part of the that you know, oh, I got it in Aldi, you won't believe it, you have to try this in Aldi yeah. or um and really kind of winning Christmas. So mm. that uh, would people trust trust Aldi for Christmas. And that was where, you know, came up with Kevin the Carrot numerous years ago, six, seven years ago, with um the incredible Adams of Alice in in Aldi UK. So that was how do you really how can you win Christmas? Will people buy their Christmas turkey from you. Will they trust you for it? And will they tell their friends about it? Will they, you know, will it be part of their whole family? So they were they were kind of some of the the challenges I was the first marketing director in in Aldi in art So, um, yeah, that was probably the first things we have to do try to continue to do. I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that 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 moment of oh, you know. Where's that from? You know, you know, that's Aldi. Oh, wow. You know, and there's still that kind of, um, but less of a surprise now. It's more of a, oh, I need to go get one. <laughs> like, You know, the, that's what the, for me, that's the shift. I think you're right. It was kind of, you know, would people would people think to shop there? And now it's, you know, what, what are the things I can get there? Right. It's a very different. Do you measure those kind of shifts in perception or i mean i guess it shows at the tail but like what are the key things you you measure and you obsess about
1: yeah we measure everything (laughs) i'm everything and maybe that's the economics background in me but i measure measure everything from and it can be a simple thing as measuring a social media post in terms of what the engagement was and what the sentiment was to whether we're measuring using system one to measure any of the ads that we've scored whether we're doing any econometrics modeling from Circana to um cantar we measure everything and it's really it's really ensuring you know andrew barling works with this now it's ensuring what's the story that that's all telling and what's the story that that is telling in conjunction with the sales and really really i mean we all work in marketing it has to drive sales yeah It's got to drive them fairly fast. And certainly going back to my Tato days, you know, you don't have the luxury of time when you're in small businesses and maybe money is tight and you have to, you know, you have to have to have some quick wins and and it has to be fast and you've got to get you've got to get the money coming in. So so I measure everything religiously and then ensuring that that's that that's also clear and sent up so that the business or the board understand what is working in some cases it might be a slow burn in others obviously you can see it fairly fast depending on depending what the specific campaign is or activity is but um and then also you know in marketing a lot of things are cyclical so you've kind of got to really say well what are the learnings what did we get right what can we add on what can we layer what can we do better next time so that would be so yeah measure everything
0: (laughs) and um is there then kind of a, or how are you having discussions around the different types of campaigns that you have? Because clearly there's campaigns that are around, you know, what's in store this week, what are the offers, then there's the more, you know, brand building, you know, whether it's Kevin where the sponsorships, how, like, what are, how are you having those conversations with the board and how it ties back to then the business outcomes?
1: Yeah, I think you will, you'll always measure things like, you know, is this a brand for me? So, really, ultimately, is this a brand for me? Have I connected with it emotionally and um, rationally? Is it a brand for me? Is one that I will obsess with. Ration is another one. So, if I'm not considering shopping or buying or going to your product or service, I'm probably not likely going to buy it. Or it. They would be two that I would totally obsess with. Reputation is another um aldi just won most reputable retailer a few weeks ago so reputation is key really what is that especially in today's world where everything is so so and, and people really care about the people that are leading the organizations they care about the values of the organization and they care about the ethics they care about the sustainability so so those factors they're they're the big brand ones equally you will care about what are the key drivers that affect people's decision making and it can be anything from the economy to inflation to, um, you know, value and prices. And it, it could be all different things uh, that you have to take into consideration. And then ultimately, you know, make a decision, make a decision on what you're going to do and what you're going to go out with and back it and stick with it and back it. And you need to get and you need to give it time to, to allow the things to build and to allow them to work.
0: And um, I'm fascinated as well by um, how you gather customer insights because i you know there's huge obviously amount of data about what people are doing to say you know in the shop at the tills but how how are you speaking to customers like are you you know are you in the stores are you watching their behavior like i'm just i find that fascinating so i'd I'd love to hear your your approach to yeah uh, customer insight
1: you can't you can never be talking to customers. You can never be talking to customers. You can never beat being in store, especially on retail. Um, you can never beat hearing the story. So we will obviously always do the the quant and qual work that that all the other brands will do, but there is nothing there is nothing to beat um hearing stories, watching videos back, listening to them, in some cases living with them. I know I was listening to to Johnny in terms yeah. of how he followed people around or live with them and follow them how they shop what's in their shopping basket go shopping with them what's in their fridge what's in their house what's their day what's the occasions they need to you know to fill be it to bring the kids to football or back to school or um so un- really understanding the behavior but maybe more so understanding how people want to feel so in in today's world people still want to feel that they're giving their family their best, that they can afford to give them the best, that they are doing the best, whatever that is for them, and that you've always, as a brand, got to demonstrate that you understand them and de- not talk about it, but demonstrate that you understand them and help them and support them. And that'll that come in loads, of different, in loads of different forms. And I think always, you know, you can't beat your family for honesty. Once you break a campaign, your family will always... <laughs> fairly fast whether they like it or it's going to work or it's not going to work or they've seen it 10 times before or you've copied somebody so you'll always get instantaneous feedback from (laughs) from friends and family good and bad that you you have to take too.
0: Yeah that that, that honesty you can't beat, really.
1: (laughs) No and and it never stops never stops forthcoming so it's always grateful for that And, and we love I'm thankful in Aldi people always write about different products so um, and then they become your ambassadors so in some ways that's where the insights come from in terms of you know you want to create you want to create so many brand advocates and brand ambassadors and that's certainly what's happened with jameson as well i nearly said jameson which was the american the american way they used to say it but <laughs> um, it's jameson i was like, yeah but, but that was what happened on that brand
0: yeah but well i and just on that the advocates piece it is kind of interesting i i did hospitality management going way 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 back i told you i had a bit of a uh, roundabout way to get here. <laughs> but um, I remember in 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 our lectures, and this goes back pre-social media, but, you know, the, the lecturer used to say that people having that experience in a restaurant or a hotel were the ones that were going to go out and tell people. But interestingly enough, it, his view was it's the ones that had the bad experience would talk more and louder than the ones that had the positive experience. You need so many more of the positive advocates to kind of almost balance out the, the the negative, and I I think that's probably certainly true. Now, it, would you feel that's true in retail as well?
1: Yeah, you do, and especially um, when you're when you're talking social media. So sometimes. Yeah following things and i'm saying measuring everything but i would always be measuring everything when you hear or see a negative comment your reaction can be oh we need to answer this or address this or whatever but if you leave it long enough it usually answers itself now so people will exactly jump in and and defend and explain you know whatever and then that's that's when you know you really have created or you have demonstrated to the people and you've really made them made them understand you know why you've made the decisions that you have and that they're then answering it for you so um Another one that just jumps to mind, maybe slightly different, but was the movie Air that's out at the moment. And, you know, how did the Nike brand really back Michael Jordan and going in and arguing for the money to just back Michael Jordan as opposed to backing three other or four other um, athletes at the time. And the success that that had to where Mm. Nike, you know, the smaller brand and Converse was the champion, but they ultimately, as a result of that partnership, um bought converse you know it was another story that that i really love how can the small brands how the small brands can buy the big really right the really right partnership and um i think that was one that we can take an awful lot of learnings from in marketing
0: yeah and it's kind of just that mindset isn't it kind of going back to that you know how do you behave and and how do you how do you continue to challenge how do you create that culture in in your team of you know because aldi you know it's doing well and you know it's it's successful, but how do you create that sense of you know we're still we still have more to challenge for?
1: Yeah, I think the the team I have an incredible team of people um from McCann Manchester on the on the creative side and Neil Lancaster, Dave Price on that side to ride across to our own teams. Um people want to win, you want to win every day, you know, it's a it's a self-motivation and measuring. And maybe there's, a you know, a competitiveness, but equally at times we will lean into the IRFU and we've had, you know, the wonderful Paul O'Connell come in and talk to us in terms of how you build that culture and how you succession plan and how you do strategy well. um, All of those things, ensuring that you're always, that you're always prepared and that you know what great looks like as soon as you see it. And thankfully, thankfully you know the team we have today and the team i've always had people know know what great looks like and they know themselves and they you know will measure themselves and i used to often think in in this game and marketing it's like every day you need another hit you know you're you know you're looking for another hit single you are in the hit game and um and you know pretty fast whether you're number one or number 10 or you didn't make the charts
0: I i love that i love that yeah you definitely do need that um I was talking to somebody at the at the AIM Awards uh la- last week and I was I was just commenting on the value of awards, right? And so I know a lot of people kind of go, Yeah, awards, you know, but I think it does create the sense of, you know, the hit, right? And 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 rightly so. And things like, you know, AIMS or can or what, you know, that are done very, very well, where it's like, you know, very well thought out and you know, it's it's hard to win. So I, I think there's a huge huge part of that and i know um i know some of the, the aldi team were, were there as well so um yeah it's great great to see that you mentioned um mccannon in, in manchester i'm i'm curious to know how aldi ireland and aldi uk work together because obviously campaigns like kevin the carrot are across both of these these markets hugely successful campaigns how does that operate how do you operate that kind of yeah local
1: <laughs> i guess when i when i was thinking of that i think what always makes Irish marketing teams proud is when the Irish marketing goes to the UK or whether it goes to Europe or it goes to the States and you can't be seeing, you know, Irish campaigns. And we've been lucky enough from whether it be um, the Grow with Aldi campaign or the Aldi Play Rugby Sticker campaign, it's also gone to the UK. So it has to be, um, it has to be a really joint collaborative process in terms of wanting to grow the business and the brand to take the learnings globally. So we obviously work um, with all the different Audi countries and there's learnings from the states and there's learnings from all the different markets, be it on media planning, be it on buying, be it on legal, be it on um, on media, be it on, you know, growth in TikTok and YouTube and how, how different markets are using all these different channels um be it netflix there's just so many different ways we would work extremely closely every day totally you know total partners um same agency obviously in ireland and the uk but kevin the carriage would have been done collaboratively there's always you know it has to be which again it would have been in 02 as well so it's one team i guess it's always one team um and it goes both ways
0: and that's great so you have that opportunity to to connect with and learn from other other markets i find that fascinating because there's just things that you know you won't know or think of or you know behaviors that are different but then at the same time you know consumers can often be very very similar and what can you take that will work in another market i i love that i love hearing from marketers in other markets it, it's great
1: yeah that's it's it's fantastic when you see when you see your work abroad and when you take their work in this times when you're you know I won't lie. There's times when you're looking for campaigns, and I've gone, oh my goodness, you know, has the UK got anything that we can take and use, work? And there's definitely been occasions, you know, like that that, you know, the UK or global teams or Australia team have had wonderful ideas with problems, and I've been very grateful that I could, you know, borrow or I heard a great term last night, case copy and steal everything. Um, There's times when you when you really, you know, you'd be really grateful for the markets already having done work, and in some cases can be. Can be much much more cost efficient, and yeah. that the behaviours and consumer behaviours can be very very similar. So there can always be work that you can share across markets.
0: Yeah, some of the work they did in Australia recently has been fantastic. We're like really enjoyable, humorous, but again, very Australian, right? So the I think the the insight around probably product and trust, and you know, is is there? You can see it, but you wouldn't necessarily be able to run it run it here but wonderful work
1: correct yeah the ins- the insights will be the same though so, um you know maybe in our current case we might sell tens of thousands of products but we will have the best category that you're looking for so if you want to just buy the best you know you could come here but if you want to spend 20 minutes looking at tomato sauce well then you know you'll go somewhere else so they had you know wonderful insight like that which um which we gladly
0: borrowed yeah it's <laughs> so good. Um, we, we talked about Kevin the Carrot a, a few times. What has that been like to, to work on? Because it's, again, I keep saying this word, hugely successful, but it has been incredibly successful. And as you say, it's really helped deliver Christmas. I mean, it has to be one of the most popular Christmas ads.
1: Yeah, it's one one the most effective Christmas campaign the last two years in a row. So that's really been really been a credit. But maybe it came back to my character days with Mr. Tato, and maybe <laughs> I reckon freaking am characters but it's all about it's all about and the family and how can you how can you differentiate a brand during Christmas which is you know I look to wonderful brands Woody's and Pust that have done you know gorgeous Christmas work as well obviously Guinness you know the amazing brands how do you cut through a Christmas and how do you do that as a supermarket and that was really what the challenge was and really differentiated and build something long term that we've managed to do and I think in marketing it's important if your campaigns can live six seven years you know Aldi's done like brands you know like brands only cheaper again amazing work and um, so the brands really need to stand the test of time and it's done that it needed to demonstrate quality it needed to showcase the wonderful range needed to build trust and it also needed to engage you know a young audience in terms of you know really cut through lots of kids and family have all the kevin the carrots and they've collected them and they've kevin and they've katie so um and so do i even my whole (laughs) life full of kevin and katie as well so um yeah just a joy and as i said you know it was it was adam's of alice and that was definitely a fun one presenting to the board at the time we need to do it animated carrot you know but to the credit again to the credit they backed it you know the payment so a wonderful board will take the risks and will back you and will trust you and and then you just can't let them
0: down that's our job and but I get the impression Rita that you're so yes they'll back you but you're not going in with we should do an animated carrot, right? You know, you and, and the people you work with, it's more like you're going in, kind of going, here's the evidence, here's the, you know, here's why we think this will work. Like how that's a huge part, I think, of what you're, you must be doing kind of not every day, but like for the big ones, right? Huge, huge. You <laughs> can probably be surprised
1: by me in terms of just the, the amount of organization and planning and preparation. It's just, you know, endless believe you can never do enough planning so it would be a year in in the truth of that we would be working on that for a year all the way through so bringing the board in the full journey of that and all the research that went with it and um stress testing it in terms of what it could do it couldn't do and um, the risks the opportunities everything you know full channel plans budgets competitor reviews international learnings yeah you would go in with you would go in you know, making wanting everybody to feel like this, the only decision that we can make is absolutely go ahead and do this. And how fast can we do it? And then equally, I think on the marketing side is you want to get everybody excited, which, you know, which which you did. And that's it. And have a bit of fun. So, um, yeah. Yeah. T- tons of planning, maybe a year, a year in the planning
0: yeah so n- not to be under underestimated um with, with Kevin the carrot obviously he's he's extended a little bit he was a Dj at electric picnic last year I've seen that where you built uh, an aldi supermarket um, sponsorships have been a, a probably a big part of some of your your roles obviously at aldi and, and o2 uh, as well how do you how do you look at the spot sponsorship as part of your overall marketing mix and how do you measure it
1: yeah, great question. Start as we've on side as our partner and John trainer to measure, to measure it. So we would, and um, we've measured it. Some cases we will measure the brand before we start any sponsorship. So we will measure going, you know, where, where, what is the issues with this brand before we even start and then try and identify what the properties would be that would fit it that we think could do it. And, and then measure it as you go along, measure it every, every quarter. And that will be everything in terms of, you know, if you have seen and engaged with the sponsorship, are you more likely to you know shop or buy this product? And that's essentially it. But I think you have to be very clear on what the role you want the sponsorships to do. So sponsorship can do a wonderful, um, charity job in terms of partnering with the likes of Bernardo's in terms of really meaningfully making a difference to kids every day in terms of helping them have a warm breakfast in the morning or a dinner in the evening which is a key partner it can equally embed itself in the community in terms of as you play rugby and the sticker campaign you've local schools winning you know tens of thousands of money that's going to make a massive difference to a local community in a local school so it can really help a brand embed itself in in the local community and equally it can help build you know reputation of a brand so um right now obviously we're partners with the irfu and ireland is number one in number one in the world in rugby so that's also helping it. it can help attract Different customer bases, so you need you need to be very clear to know what you want the brand, what you want the sponsorship to do, and then very clearly measure it and also evolve it. So, you know, you have done everything from a range of a range of clothes to a range of cars. There's loads of different areas that it has to do, but be very clear on be very clear on what the what the sponsorship's job is.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think you know knowing the. The objectives that you know you, you have for, for a sponsorship are, are key because some of the, you know you look at sponsorships and some of them are really attractive, you know, for a load of variety of reasons, but they will not do what you need them to do. And you know, even you know, I know we looked at stuff before, where actually, one of the things we really want to do is engage uh, you know, employees, like actually, and so that requires you to look at doing things in in a really different way, if, you know, as, as a sponsorship. Um, a couple of more things i wanted to ask you and i know we're we're getting close to time and and i know you've got to rush off as well so um but i did want to just ask you um about kind of how you think about performance marketing brand building and then the idea of double duty where you know the you know an ad can do both there's a bit of a debate going on at the minute and you know i'd love to get your your views and perspective on it
1: yeah and that's that's always the the discussion i think you're always going to have you will maybe it's a scale so it's it's determining you know what's the right level of investment what's the right level of weight to always put behind those those brand building campaigns and then those shorter sales driving campaigns and you know you will you'll study that you'll study all those textbooks on it i think it'll be different for different industries um it can be if we're in O two and you're you know you're measured every day or you're an e commerce business, you're gonna be much harder likely on the um on the sales side of it, maybe then more so on the brand building side of it. But if you're if you're in the likes of um, the, the big brands, you're going to always have to, you're always going to have to have have both um, and maybe not all at the same time. So you might, you know, the certain times when you're even maybe, you know, during the pandemic, that's, that was an opportunity to build a brand, to really build a community brand, but it was also um, an opportunity to where you really had to be fast and agile on the ground and be able to respond Towards now you're in a period of inflation or people worried about costs. You've always got to be able to uh, to read the mood and respond and know know, um, know the right level of investment to put behind each of them at any one time. And again, it's back to all the metrics that you're going to have and that you're going to
0: read and um, and the sales ultimately won't lie. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's the thing. I just, can't, you know, I, I, that sense of in retail, like just the, the real time nature of it. Right. Because, you know, it's because interesting like in b2b marketing there's a lot of talk about you know 95.5 you know only five percent of your customers are in market now and the 95 aren't and so you know that's why you'd want to build your brand for for the longer term because they're longer sales cycles and all that but like in retail people are in the shops every single day
1: yeah and it's like and it's maybe it's like Ryanair you know when the plane's gone it's gone like it's you know it's- yeah. It again, so uh, I think you've kind of got to think you've got to think like that. You're always trying to drive footfall, you're always trying to get them to put one more item in the basket. That one more item, get them to put in. How do you get them to come back once more? get them to to switch and and to trust you more into or products that they haven't necessarily bought so the sales the footfall will just you know just will not lie neither will your web traffic Um, all of those stats and all of those measurements will kind of tell you tell you how you're doing and equally so the competition so you know you've really got a I think it's great when you've got great com- great competitors in your industry thankfully I always have when you've got wonderful competitors doing great work you're going to learn from them and it's, going to, it's only going to make you uh, work harder, think clever and uh, make decisions and, and try and do the best, the best work you can.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it is a competitive space in, in this market and markets like the UK as well, like a hugely competitive space. How do you think about how, how Aldi can differentiate itself or be more distinctive than its competitors?
1: I think it already has. So it really stands out for really stands out for quality. It's known for quality now. Um, It's known for its reputation. So when it wins the most supermarket, it's clearly known for that. And it's known for it's it's known for value. So if you're looking for the best quality products at the lowest prices, well, then the only place you are going to go is Aldi. And the amount of awards-winning products that they have, and you know, being being in there just to see the level of attention and detail that they give is incredible. So, you want the best quality products at the lowest prices. You're not going to beat Aldi. And then while you're in there, you're you know, you could pick up a paddleboard and you could pick up a kettlebell, and you could pick up a you know face serum as well. So you just also can't you can't beat that. And then so much of it is bought locally. So you want yeah, you want Irish strawberries first you want new season potatoes first you know we really really try and buy locally and buy off local growers so that um so you get the freshest the freshest possible food that you can
0: yeah yeah a dog bed was my my, my most recent an outdoor dog bed
1: Right. i bought a cat bed and i don't actually <laughs> have a cat but we've a cat is so, the, so i got a cat bed for a cat that i that i don't have but wanted to make the local cat feel comfortable so That's there you brilliant. go
0: um among all these amazing experiences uh that you've had is there any one big failure that you kind of have that stands out to you and go oh my god like i'm so glad that happened because i learned something incredible from it
1: um you'll always you'll always have things you can do better so you'll always look back gosh i could have done better we had we did a aim for velvet crunch snacks back to largo and we were trying to do you know really clever art and it was a brand that was just starting and didn't fully have the money but i thought it was really creative and clever and different and you know it just didn't work (laughs) so you look back and i go at the time the time i maybe was allowed to do it because i had enough credit you know in the bank in terms but it was one where I kinda of go, it just didn't work and it just didn't pull. But equally when you recognize that, get out of it fast, you know, recognize that it didn't work, move on, you know, and take the learnings from it and go for it. Don't try and don't try and put another sticky plaster on it to make it better or cover it up, you know, hands up, it didn't work. I got it wrong. You know, let's let's go again, let's take the learnings and 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 do a better job the next time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I think that's very important to be able to kind of say that and kind of know the, the mistakes and, and own up to it because we all, like, God, we all make them, don't we? Um, last couple of questions. I, you're on the board of the Rutland Centre. Um, can you tell me a bit about the, that work?
1: Yeah, that's, inc- that's incredible. So, this is a centre that was established in 1978 and that really offers world class services in addiction. So, if there's anybody listening that needs help and support, either themselves or their family in addiction, um, a lot in the alcohol addiction or drug addiction, well, really the, the Rutland Centre just offers a world a world class service in that space. Um, their recovery rates speak for themselves. So, two out of three people will get recovery, uh, and truly, they make just an enormous difference to to families. Um, and then, you know, people can join back in society once they've had the support that they need so from my side i it's an absolute privilege to work with them on the fundraising side and on the communication side and um as i said if there's anybody that would you know like to support them like to help them absolutely get in touch um and yeah really really just absolute experts in experts in addiction.
0: it's um, great that they, you know, they, they have you supporting them. And you know, I've I've worked in nonprofits and I know the value of you know having outside expertise come in and, and help kind of do do more. So um I'm sure it's much appreciated. Uh, if you weren't doing this job, I don't know if I can imagine you not doing marketing, Rita, but if you weren't what would you do?
1: <laughs> if I wasn't, I still the dream was always Nike. I think if I could be you know, running running Nike I would be. Maybe running Nike is the term exactly it in terms of being in my runners, but maybe it was the air movie that I recently saw. But working on amazing brands, you know, I absolutely love what I do. I think I wanted it from day one. I know I was listening to Johnny, but having studied economics and I I traded foreign exchange in London in Bank of America for a period as well and sat in the banks, but that wasn't for me for sure. So um the creativity, the leading people, the winning, um, all of that an amazing brands seeing products on the shelf you know i loved hearing that from debbie and um, i thoroughly enjoyed listening to andy Nern in terms of lucky generals and how how he did the hovis campaign so working on working on incredible campaigns incredible brands and getting paid to do it you know yeah. <laughs> so, you know don't don't tell anybody it's incredible to get to do it every day and, and as you said then if you can give back in the likes of i've worked with the wear and worked with bernardo's and you know, now have the joy of working with the Rutland if you can give back on top of it, well, Upwasher, sure, you know, isn't that what we're all here for?
0: Amazing. Rita, thank you so much for your time today. Absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um thoroughly enjoyed it and you clearly love what you do and it's just, it's infectious and contagious. And I hope anyone listening who's thinking about a career in marketing even goes, oh, this is what I want too.
1: Yeah, this is what I want too when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Rita, thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much, Connor. Thanks for having me.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode with Rita. It was so great to hear her amazing mm-hmm. story. And look, for me, what comes through is her absolute love for trade. Rita adores marketing and not in like a fluffy way. She is commercial. Mm-hmm. I get the impression that not only does Rita obsess about the metrics, she knows them top of mind. I would say for a CEO and board, she is a dream marketer. You have someone who loves what they do. So that's going to filter through to the team. Someone who knows what good work is and can get there. And someone who's invested in the commercial returns. So much to learn from listening to Rita. I hope no matter what role or what market you were in, you picked up some great insights from hearing from one of Ireland's best. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and watching. That's what I call marketing. If you did enjoy, please do share, add comments with your feedback. You can get in touch and find all previous episodes on that's what I call marketing.com Or follow us on Instagram on That's What I Call Marketing, on Twitter at that's underscore marketing. And now you can watch our episodes back on YouTube. Yes, you guessed it. That's what I call marketing. For me, Connor Byrne, until the next episode, thanks for listening or watching. Take care.